I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is the Financial Times podcast in association with City Index. Why pensions penalise you for changing jobs? We expose another charges scandal. How index tracker funds distort share prices. But we ask if it matters to long-term investors. And is the sun setting on solar energy? We explain how subsidy cuts hit homeowners and investors. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent. I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with our special studio guest, Justin Urquhart-Stewart, co-founder of Seven Investment Management. Hello. And my colleagues from FT Money, Joe Cumbo. Hello. Elaine Moore. Hello. And for the last time, for now at least, although we'll have her back as a special guest on this show any time, Alice Ross. Hello. Alice is uh, is leaving us to become the FT's Currencies Correspondent, although I think there'll be a fair few stories that we'd like to cover on the podcast in months to come. Let's start then with the money news uh, this week. And a week or so ago, the pensions regulator issued a warning to companies running workplace pension schemes saying that imposing higher charges on employees who stop paying into a scheme because they change jobs, for example, was unfair. But now pension providers are challenging this warning, effectively saying that they think it's okay to levy lower charges on active scheme members, people who are still paying in. It means that millions of workers will face big hikes in their pension charges when they shift jobs. Workers who are still paying into schemes will typically pay 0.7% in annual management charges. But once a worker leaves or defers pension contributions, these charges can rise to 1.2%, which is a, a 70% increase. Joe, I mean, how can this be fair? It doesn't cost any more to manage the money for someone who's left the company or still in the company. Indeed, millions of people, um, whether they're active or deferred members of a scheme, are being charged the same rate. They've got flat pricing structures. But what we've seen in recent years with more people moving about the workplace, more competition from companies to get employment business to offer these schemes, is this introduction of this dual pricing structure where employers can say, to keep you in the scheme, we'll offer you a discount. But, you know, 
people who leave it are going to subsidise it by paying higher fees, which you've pointed out can amount um, to thousands of pounds um, for deferred members over a number of years. And how widespread uh, a, a problem is this? I, I suppose we're, we're talking about um, defined contribution schemes that are run by insurance companies, fund managers for... On behalf of employers. On behalf yes. of employers, exactly. Um, so how many companies are we talking about? Well, at the moment, this has only really become an issue over the past five years, this sort of dual charging structure for active members and deferred members. Perhaps we're only talking about tens to hundreds of thousands of individuals, but with the introduction of auto-enrolment, this could certainly mean millions in the near future, and I think that's why the pensions regulator is stepping in with the pronouncements that it is unfair just to try and nip this charging structure in the bud. And I know that you've been um, phoning around this week and trying to find out uh, you know, which companies are which level of charges. Um, can you give us some of the findings of your research? Just to give you an example, one of the most vocal proponents of this is Aegon. They charge 0.7% um, for active members, but if you leave that part, if you leave it behind, it rises to 1.2%. Aviva, 0.6% to 1%, and Standard Life, 0.3%, rising to 1% for people who defer. And uh, these are big names. I mean, th- th- these are, these are you know, large companies providing lots of I think of I think what most people will think is they won't even be aware that this is happening to them. And this is one of the issues that the regulator has raised is that they do have concerns that these charges might not be fully disclosed to the individual when they sign up to a scheme because it's organised through the employer. And then when they leave, are they getting that trigger letter to say, hey, your fees have gone up by 70%. So if you're one of those individuals who are in a scheme with any of those companies that I've named and you've deferred, perhaps it's time to go back and ask about charges. If you're not happy, you can pay into the scheme and most of them will perhaps put you back onto active member rates, reduce your rates, or you could look to transfer to a cheaper stakeholder plan if it's better for you. Okay, so there's something you can do about it. Mm. And uh, you mentioned at the beginning that this has been going on for about five years. Yes, it's really just an emerging trend. Yeah. Well, why has it taken the the pensions regulator so long to issue this warning? Well, what's happening is that there's been such a big focus and it's a growing focus on charges with auto-enrolment and with keeping those charges low and we're talking about caps being introduced or the ministers starting to talk about introducing legislation to cap charges. It's all being generated by auto-enrolment, which as I said, will see millions more people automatically enrolled into paying pensions. So they just want to keep that at the forefront at the moment. Certainly. Um, thanks for that, uh, Joe. And if you'd like to know which pension providers uh, start deducting higher charges when you change jobs or stop paying into the scheme, you can read the findings of Joe's exclusive survey at ft.com forward slash money. You can also read Joe's news story on this uh, topic in the money section of this weekend's FT. Still to come on the show, a cloudy outlook for homeowners and investors looking to profit from solar panels. First, though, index tracker funds. Conventional tracker funds have grown in popularity in recent years for their low costs and the fact that they do what they say they will. They track a stock market index by holding the shares in that index. But now the Association of British Insurers is calling for restrictions on tracker funds investing in newly listed companies due to concerns that they are artificially inflating share prices by being forced to buy shares in a company as soon as it enters an index. In recent times, a large number of commodities and mining groups uh, that have listed on the London market have gone straight into the FTSE 100, 
causing mass buying by tracker funds. So the ABI is proposing that shares in newly listed companies cannot join the FTSE 100 or other index um, until a three-month cooling off period. Alice, what exactly is the is the logic of this? Because if the shares go up and the tracker fund goes up, that's okay, isn't it? That would be okay, but unfortunately what we're seeing is that the shares don't go up, the shares go down. Um, Glencore, uh, the mining company that listed in May, is perhaps the biggest example of this. It was massively hyped. Um, you know, shares started listing at what many people already thought was too expensive. Three months later, the shares had fallen 38%. Um, and I ran similar numbers on Betfair, which was another large company that listed uh, in October last year. Three months later, weirdly, the shares had also fallen 38%, um, which is obviously some strange coincidence. But um, that really shows that if you do leave this cooling off period, it would make a difference. And I'm here with Justin at 7am. Justin, I know that you use tracker funds and exchange traded products a lot at your business. Do you think the ABI is right to be concerned about this? Well, it's certainly an issue because you, you have to be careful when you're bringing a company to the market because as soon as you do then obviously investors and particularly those who are the tracking indices or hugging indices will automatically be buying into them but of course actually if you're bringing a company to the market you'll be building that book beforehand anyway so this calls into question actually how these companies are floating and frankly the type of companies that are floating in there as well you mentioned Glencore but we've had some other examples of probably less than uh, high quality businesses coming out of uh, the mining sector and some of those coming out of Central Asia where their levels of corporate governance aren't exactly the most attractive or the most uh, transparent. So, in fact, you've got to be quite careful. Actually, buying straight into these companies with all this hype is actually rather dangerous. So, yes, we usually lost trackers, but I have to say, sometimes you have to be quite selective. Not all trackers are the same. And sometimes it's actually worth holding off and saying, excuse me, I don't mind tracking the FTSE 100, but I'm not going to have that hyped-up piece of something or other and actually come back later. So it is... Uh, well, how would that work? Because that's quite interesting. So you could have a, a tracker tracking the FTSE 100, but you could somehow avoid some shares? How would that work exactly? Yes, I mean, certain to the person who's actually running the particular tracking structure, you can actually say, right, I'm going to have the FTSE 100 less mining or less um, uh, various types of stock, and I'll only have ones which have actually got a levels of trading o- over a period of time. Now, the standard automatic trackers from iShares and such like, which are very good, cheap and cheerful things, do exactly what they say they're going to do. Those people who are using passives a bit more selectively will actually select certain parts of indices and say, I'm going to track that bit. I don't want the rest of it because that could actually cause me more difficulties. Mm. And you could actually do that with just a single stock, so say, uh, you know, because the Glencore thing, for example, was hyped up a lot before. Could you have just said, I'm just going to ditch Glencore and then I'll buy it again three months later? That was exactly what we did. Mm. We looked at Glencore mainly because actually we didn't have enough room to put the prospectus in our desk. I've never seen anything so large in all my life. (laughs) Um, And so we said, look, this is far too much hype. Leave it. We'll come back later. And so it's easy for us to do as investment managers. It's much more difficult for the private investor who doesn't necessarily know all the constituents of it and I say I wouldn't have necessarily gone through the prospectus of all these companies coming to the market. We need to be careful. I have to say the quality of some of the companies coming to the FTSE 100 and qualifying as principal stocks now, I have to say, not as good as they were. The FTSE 100 can sometimes be described as a bit of a flag of convenience. We don't know exactly what the ABI is going to do about this, but what are the possible options? Do you think it's realistic that maybe they could ask, you know, tracker funds to hold off for three months before investing in some of these new companies? I don't think they thought it through properly. I think it's better <laughs> that you go back to the floating 
flotate when you're doing the flotation establish when you're building a book who do you actually need to have involved in it and build it up over time that's what you would normally do with a flotation and building a book these days must include those people operating passives mm. so if you're an investor um, looking at passives maybe you should consider some of these structures that don't just automatically buy everything absolutely it's not all as clear and straightforward as sometimes they like to make it out but then is it passive or is it partly active? Ah, well, that's the issue. You can have actively traded passives, as it were, so you can end up confusing the two. But the point is, actually, still getting the cost of tracking something at a lower cost without an active manager, but you've probably then got an active asset allocator on top of it. So uh, there's a combination of the two. combination of the two may be better than the current system. Uh, Justin, thank you very much, um, Alice, as well. And if you uh, would like to know more... Uh, about how this proposal might affect stock market indices and the funds that track them. Look out for Alice's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. And finally today, solar power. On Monday, the Department of Energy and Climate Change announced proposals for a widely expected cut in the feed-in tariff. That's the subsidy that's paid to homeowners and companies that generate their own electricity. Anyone installing solar panels will now have to fit them and register them for the feed-in tariff by December the 12th in order to qualify for the current higher level of the subsidy. If you miss this deadline, you or the manager of your solar enterprise investment scheme will only get the lower level of the tariff. According to one energy company that reacted to the announcement this week, as a result of these cuts, fewer people will become micro-generators and the prospect of a stable energy future for Britain looks ever more distant. So, Elaine, the question really is, is it still worth sticking a solar panel on your roof? Well, you say that the cut was expected, but actually it was a very, very fast turnaround, wasn't it, between the time when we heard that this feed-in tariff might be cut. We knew that there was going to be an announcement at the end of the year regarding the feed-in tariff. But the the change that's been made, it's basically a a 50% cut in the feed-in tariff. So before you could get, it was about £900, add in all the extras, about £1,200 every single year from the government just for fitting renewable energy providers to your home that's now been halved so the difference is is that if you if you paid out about ten thousand pounds a little little bit more maybe twelve thousand pounds to have say solar panels fitted to your roof it would take you about eight years or so they estimated for you to get your money back start making a profit from those panels now it'll take you about 16 years so it's a huge change 50 percent of the whole market was actually these providers who would fit them for free in order to take that feed-in tariff for 25 years they're all now saying the business model is completely impossible because they just can't afford to fit the panels for the money that they would now get back. So don't expect anyone to knock on your door saying free solar panels, uh, Gov. That isn't going to happen. For those who do want to go ahead and have got a 16-year time frame, um, presumably the news isn't quite so bad, but they still have that initial capital outlay. They've got to come up with the money. How how much money are we talking about to get a a panel fitted? It's about, the maximum they say is about £14,000 for your home. But if we think about it, the energy market is a really unhappy place at the moment. So this year, bills are up 21% on average. So we're facing, all of us are facing a winter, paying a lot, lot more for our energy. So in a way, you could say that it makes sense to fit some source of energy provision in your home, which will cut those bills. Uh, It depends on what sort of, where you are, where you live, whether you can actually have the solar panels fitted to your home. It has to be a certain angle of your roof in in order to uh, qualify for it. You also, in the future, will need your home to be energy efficient. So you'll need to have fitted insulation in your roof and so on in order to uh, 
be able to get the feed-in tariff. But if you do qualify and if you can pay out, then the expectation is that energy bills for gas and electricity are going to keep on rising throughout the near future, maybe long-term future. So perhaps it does make sense to take a stance and try and cut those bills yourself now. Yeah, and that seems to be very much the stance of the um, the enterprise investment scheme managers um, who seem undeterred by the cut in the tariff, which, which was the basis of the, the business model for their investment. They're saying no. Well, a lot of them are saying we're carrying on anyway, um, although they are um, stopping their fundraisings in the next sort of few days and weeks um, to, to uh, just try and get the, the money in in time. Just very quickly, um, one other thing. Um, we've covered smaller energy providers um, in the past on this show and in the money section. Um, news this week suggesting that they can't really offer you know, cheaper rates. No, they've tried to hold off for as long as they can, but Ovo Energy, which uh, gets some of its energy from wind farms, but it also has to buy some of its energy from the larger providers from the national grid, it's now put up its prices by, it's about 4% for electricity, about 8% for gas. So even the smaller providers have had to push up their prices, and they said that it's just inevitable that short-term energy prices are going to keep coming up. That's because of the investment required to turn Britain from a country that relies on old-fashioned energy sources to new renewable energy sources so it will keep on getting more expensive yes why can't we just turn britain into a country with warmer weather that would be that would just be easier all around can't we sort of drag ourselves south a bit i don't know anyway elaine thank you very much uh, for that and for more on the effects are on homeowners and those enterprise investment schemes i mentioned of this change to the feed-in tariff subsidy, make sure you read our two articles in the money section of this weekend's FT. That's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you will find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, blog, posts, and top tips on our website, ft.com forward slash money. You can also read our tweets at twitter.com forward slash FT Money. And if you'd like us to answer a question about any aspect of your finances, just email us at ask at ft.com. But before we go, on behalf of the money team of our producer Lucy and the listeners out there, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to Alice for being such a star of this show for so many years. You will be sorely missed um, by all of us, but we will get you back on the show to talk about the euro. I look forward to it. And uh, everything else. Although I wouldn't be surprised if um, something called the Currencies Podcast starts up in a few weeks' time. Yes, something I'm thinking about. We'll see. But thank you, um, Alice. Um, we'll be back next week for another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Elaine, Joe, special guest Justin Oakett, Stewart of Seven Investment Management, and for one last time, Alice Ross. Goodbye. 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 This is the Financial Times podcast in association with City Index. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.